0: licensed professional counselor. I'm the host of Big Dating Energy. I'm so happy that you're here today. You're going to learn so much. Oh my God. This is one of my favorite episodes. This is my favorite episode, not just because it's a very interesting topic. I'm talking to a sex worker and I learned a lot, but also like, I think I did a pretty good job interviewing her. I feel like I My goal was to ask questions that you, the listener, would want to ask a sex worker, but you're a little too scared to do it. Or maybe you just don't have access to a sex worker. I asked all those questions. We get into the history of sex work just a little bit. We talk about social justice and sex work. We talk about how different countries sort of like legalize or decriminalize or how they handle sex work and the people that are buying sex work. And then we get into like her experience specifically. Um, I ask her what she wishes new clients knew before meeting with her. I ask her how she became a sex worker, what it's like to date a sex worker. Because she, not only is she a sex worker, but she dates a sex worker. She really breaks it down. She's also just like incredibly compelling and smart And uh, as a good storyteller, (laughs) I ask other questions like, do you have any mixed feelings about clients that might be cheating on their partner with you? Or looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently in your career or personal journey within the sex industry? Uh, I just she's just like a wealth of information. And I think that you're going to learn a lot and that you're going to love her. She'll tell you where you can find out more information about her and follow her on Twitter slash X. Um, But before we do, before we get to the episode, I want to just sort of gently nudge you in the direction of leaving a review for me in this podcast. It helps me move up the charts. It tells Daddy Algorithm that you love this podcast and other people will love it too. So just hit that five-star review. I'd be super uh, appreciative. Also, I have a new podcast out today. It's called Problem Solved. You should definitely go and listen to it. So Big Dating Energy is basically me interviewing people about love, relationships, sex, all that good stuff. Problem Solved is me giving relationship advice. So this week, I had some callers call in. They let me know what they were struggling with, and me and my co-host gave advice. Then those callers went away to do the advice and came back on that very same episode to tell us how the advice went it's basically a call-in show where we give relationship advice, but you get to find out if the advice worked or not. It's pretty great. So head over to Problem Solved after you listen to this episode, review it, share it, love it, and subscribe to it so you can listen to it every week. Okay. Here's the interview. Hello, Solana. How are you doing today?
1: I'm very well. How about yourself, Jeff?
0: i 'm doing really good uh, i 'm so happy that you 're here. I have lots of questions for you and let 's dive in so first, like introduce yourself to everybody.
1: Of course, yeah. So uh, I go by Solana Sparks. I am a full-service sex worker, and I've been involved in the sex trade on and off for about 18 years now in a variety of different capacities, but have really found a job that I love in, in full-service sex work, and that's the part of the trade that I like the most. Though um, so I can talk about some some other parts today for sure. And I'm currently based in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I moved last summer from San Seattle, Washington. So I uh, have, have some U.S. and some statewide experience to discuss as well. And mm-hmm. if folks are interested in finding out more about me, my website is www.SolanaSparks.com.
0: Oh, yeah, I also have a Twitter,
1: th- which is just Solana Sparks.
0: <laughs> nice. Why did you decide to move to San Juan?
1: Um, so I'm I'm Puerto Rican. I'm half Puerto Rican mm. on my mother's side, and I just love the weather here. I love the people here. I love the food here, and it's always been a dream. And I realized after the pandemic that why not? I should just go ahead and do that. And it's been a really wonderful decision for me.
0: Sure, good. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry and became a sex worker?
1: Yes. So my point of entry uh, actually is a a bit rare for someone who has continued in the work, which is that I started as a survival and street-based sex worker. Mm -hmm. In my late teens and early 20s, I experienced some pretty chaotic substance use and housing instability and um, turned to sex work, although that, that wasn't what I saw it to be at the time, but really turned to Uh, exchanging sexual favors in direct relationship for drugs or housing or those sorts of things. And so um, that is generally called survival sex work. I did some street-based sex work as well. And um that is actually pretty rare. I think kind of the interns quote unquote of the sex trade are usually strippers and mm. uh sugar babies. Um but after that period when I entered a period of recovery and really just started um meeting the goals that I had to find for myself and in coming into a sense of well-being, I um stopped doing sex work for a little bit and then returned to the trade in 2018 and have tried a, a variety of different types of sex work since then, but really fell in love with full service sex work and have been doing that since.
0: Huh. What was that experience like going back to sex work in 2018? Do you feel like you had to kind of work through some, I don't know, feelings or issues around sex work because of the way that you started?
1: I did. I I didn't have any of the safety knowledge that I yeah. that I have now and that I so um, just ver- ferociously sought <laughs> right afterwards. Like I didn't I didn't have that. I also think that in my life, the farther that I am in proximity to poverty, the more empowering that sex work is and really kind of any experience, honestly. And uh, because I'm able to Really uphold my boundaries in a way that when I had to do what I needed to do to survive, that was really different. And I had to bulldoze through my boundaries a lot. And so even during that time, I appreciated sex work for what it was for me. Uh, Did I love it then? No, (laughs) right? It was very different. But um, I... I previously worked in the nonprofit industrial complex, which has all of its issues and those sorts of things as well. And Mm -hmm. I started doing sex work organizing as well as um, some harm reduction organizing and different things and met some people in the sex trade that really gave me some of the safety knowledge that I I want to impart on people um, today and just in my life. And that really got me thinking that I, I think I could have a more empowered experience going back to the sex trade with this knowledge. And I think anyone potentially could right um, mm-hmm. and so I, I came back but I did have to work through some things I think in particular I had some confusion around my my sexuality that I took years to figure out and um, also to be able to express my own boundaries express my own desires understand fully consent um, and really kind of step into my own self empowerment not to mm-hmm. say that that other survival sex workers as street based sex workers had that same journey those were my own personal issues um, mm-hmm. but I I worked through those things. And when I came back to the sex trade, I had actually only planned to do it for a little bit while I kind of got on my feet after leaving the nonprofit industrial complex and starting my own business with some business partners. And, um, I ended up loving it I ended up loving it so much that I was like, I'll just do that part time and be a sex worker part time. And I, Mm -hmm. I will continue that as long as my body lets me, I think.
0: Hmm. Wow. Can you tell me a little bit about like the safety issues and how you learned about like creating more safety as you got back into sex work in 2018?
1: Yes. So there's really many different types of safety issues. I think in general, sex work under under the current criminal status of sex work, sex workers are always put in a position where they have to either To be more at risk of interpersonal violence with um, partners or clients, or more at risk of systemic violence with police and social service workers, etc. And so, really, really, someone every single day, every single client, whatever that looks like, has to choose: okay, I'm more willing to be at risk of one of these than the other. Um, And when I was younger, I didn't know um, tips or tricks about safety if I got in a car. and, um, someone held me there against my will. That was, that was part of my story. Um, Mm -hmm. I really didn't know what, what trafficking was or how to, um, be able to get help around that. I didn't know even how to how to advocate for myself, getting the money that I think I deserved and was worth. And I think that those things I've really found in community. And um, I mean, I'm also 38, so I just just think the internet wasn't what it was when I was younger. <laughs> you know what it is now, and so I think people have more tools available to them. However, those things are especially on the internet, overwhelmingly criminalized and hard to find. And so I think that's why. Uh, sex worker support groups and harm reduction networks are just really important um, because if I had had that conocimiento if I'd had that knowledge right but when I was younger I really think that some of the bad things that had happened to me wouldn't have happened because I would have mm. known uh, I would have just known better you know in a lot mm-hmm. of ways and so not to say that it's anyone's fault but I would have had the knowledge I needed to keep myself safe or the community I needed to be able to respond to that violence and I don't think that makes violence go away I've definitely seen that right. in um, you know people's people's lives right those, those things are still really prevalent um, but some of the screening, the safety tools that are really standard in the sex trade are screening, being able to get a sense of uh, who it is that's coming to see you to make sure that they're not a cop, to make sure that they're not a serial, a, 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 excuse me, abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way of guaranteeing these things, right? But it's sure. really trying to get a sense of who it is who's coming to see you and that if something bad were to happen with that person, that they, they know that you have some sense of recourse or that someone knows where you are and that you're important.
0: Right. Can you tell me a little bit about the screening process?
1: Absolutely. So different providers use different ways of screening. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people will ask for provider references for um, other sex workers that someone might have seen before. In a Mm -hmm. lot of ways, I really love that because you can get more information. Um, We might you know share with confidentiality what someone's proclivities are what maybe some of the uh emotional labor is like with that client or something or Mm -hmm. just you know just that this is a great client or whatever that is um Mm -hmm. however there that can be faulty and that some people who do are kind of chronic abusers in the sex trade might have people that they see and can get good references for and Um, people that they then then kind of step out on or or might harm in a variety of different ways. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's one form of screening. Uh, People might want some sort of work verification or a link to who this person is that they can then verify as that person, again, Mm -hmm. trying to get around if uh, this person is a cop. Also, just so that person knows that their information is with that provider in case something were to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a fear, and I, I understand it, right, among clients that, well, you have that information and you're going to abuse that. But I think that when when clients can understand that sex work is work and that um, my, my reputation actually relies on my discretion, my confidentiality, and I would never, ever use that information unless someone were to harm me. And even then, mm-hmm. I'd have to, you know, it would really be a right. big jump to go to someone's job and say something about that, right? right? I mean, I actually think mm-hmm. going to their mother is a way better idea, but, like, you know, I just... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know there's just very little little recourses that we have, but I think um I also recognize i've I've heard clients say that they have had uh previous experiences with sex workers who have broken that trust, and that's really mm. sad to me right and so mm-hmm. on some level, we really just have to the trust has to begin somewhere um right. but I think the the nice thing about um you know going to a provider who's verified who has a record of being around for a long time um, is really important because you can see that they've they've existed that long mm-hmm. for um, mm-hmm. in good trust right in good faith and is and are quite professional um, there's other things that can happen like IDs or deposits that come with someone's name um, on the back end though we have we have safety mechanisms uh, which are which are overwhelmingly called bad date lists and a mm-hmm. bad date list is an intervention that started like circa the 70s, 60s, 70s in mm-hmm. Chicago mm-hmm. by black trans women who still to this day experience the highest rate of murder in the sex trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and they started writing down information about dates that were fraudulent or violent or exploitative, whatever that looked like, and passing it around to each other. And um, that continues today on a street level with that actual kind of paper, paper, paper trail that is uh, that exists as well as online. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's not just one singular database that we can all use. There's probably about 10. Um, and so if someone makes a report on one of those, there might there might not be a report on others that people are checking. Right. One thing that has been hard since moving to a U.S. territory is that overwhelmingly those uh, databases don't don't support us here in the territories. So uh, mm-hmm. that's been kind of frustrating. But um, people can look up someone's number or name to see if there has been a report that's been made against them. And um, mm-hmm. I'll say that's that's like definitely saved my butt you know, a number of times. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we all make our own choices. Like if there reports that seem like oh you know that i i still might want to take this risk every person every provider has their own ability to do so but there's somewhere especially if there's a number of reports and there is severe enough violation i'll say i don't this doesn't matter to me. And again, that's the difference between being, being closer to poverty and being like, I just kind of have to hope Mm -hmm. this, this is okay. And Mm -hmm. being in a place of, uh, financial stability where I can say no to clients who I know have a history of being not very good clients.
0: Right. Is there, is there, a decent amount of like cops that are trying to get in there and fool providers. Does that happen often?
1: No, I mean, I'll say where it happens is I think that the, the two ways that the sex trade are as like really, really policed is one, the the street based sex trade um, Mm -hmm. because of like, quote unquote, cleaning up the streets. And then Mm -hmm. also uh, people who are migrants and immigrants Mm -hmm. because Society wants to deport them, and so mm-hmm. that's where I've seen um, that if I if I I do not exist in either of those populations, and mm-hmm. so um, but I think that those are the populations that are that are you know under the most amount of surveillance. Um, mm-hmm. There's still a large amount of stings that happen. I don't think police resources are overwhelmingly used, um, to go undercover. However, that is different based on a political climate of a different city or state. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are absolutely stings and those sorts of things where, um, Hmm. someone can be pretending that they are a cop can be pretending they're someone else. And, um, it's actually really scary. I mean, undercover works, because cops can do drugs, have sex with sex workers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. um, they, they do and have, uh, had sex with sex workers and then turn around and arrest them. And Mm -hmm. that's a really big issue. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think that those are the people who, who could be worried. I will say, there's a whole, you know, sex work Twitter debate about this, but I have experienced this and I know other people have, too, is that there's a number of law enforcement officers who are very honest about um, who they are and what they do and, uh, you know, approach sex workers wanting to be seen and so, you know, there's, there's transparency in that regard. And there are a number mm-hmm. of sex workers who will see law enforcement and there's a number who will not still, even mm-hmm. with that transparency. So mm-hmm. there's kind of the two camps. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's like you get to assess that risk and, and, and you know, there's lots of different factors that are going to affect like that decision and imagine. Um, so huh. is there, what do you wish like new clients knew before meeting with you?
1: I wish that new clients would just read my website. (laughs) <laughs> is that I mean, a problem? there's. It really is. It really is, uh, and I it's, it's it's really flattering and qu- actually quite impressive to me. Very low bar, but if someone reads my website and then and then in their introduction it shows me that that has happened, right? Mm-hmm. I've also, you know, I've I have an interview with Tris.link, Link, which is a, a large advertising site that I did a number of years ago. That's linked on my web page, and so mm-hmm. if people take the time to get to know me, especially um, if they can know the basic things that are on my website, like my rates, Mm -hmm. um, my availability, my like absolute will not do's. those things. Um, I think based on, on the culture, like some, some folks will not discuss those because they're on the site. Um, but I, I think that, those of us who have put a lot of resources like pictures cost a lot of money websites mm-hmm. cost a lot of money and take a lot of time and so this is a labor of love to an offering right to give to our clients so that they can see um who it is that they might choose and and spend a lot of money on right and mm-hmm. and spend time with and this is a really intimate decision and so when people are actually treating sex work as work um and they can read my site or you know other people's site and just know a little bit about it or not um, not approach us with like a, hey, BB, are you available? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I appreciate people who just uh, approach me with respect and take the time to read about me.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like there's, uh, so you mentioned the website Trist and that, how long has that website been around now? Do you know?
1: Oh, probably about five years. Yeah, Yeah, maybe a little
0: uh longer. And there's been other websites before that um, that haven't, like, remained online, right? Like, one of the – I feel like a a popular one from back in the day was, like, Backpage.com, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How come Trist can survive but, like, older websites that did the same sort of thing haven't been able to survive? Are you able to, like, explain why that is?
1: A little bit, yeah. It really uh, comes down to where their server and their operations are based. Um, In 2018, there was a uh, set of, of... federal bills, a House bill and a Senate bill that were passed that are called Sesta Fosta, mm-hmm. um that are kind of inappropriately named because uh, that's the Stop and Enabling Sex Trafficking Act. Um mm-hmm. however as someone who has has was doing outreach with sex workers on the street at the time, um trafficking increased exponentially because it took the middle class out of the sex trade. And what mm-hmm. it did is it amended the internet as we knew it. Section 230, um which said that the hosts of contents online will not be liable for information that their users post. And so um, if, you know, on uh, Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook is not going to be liable if I, you know, Go off about a particular thing or, you know, try try to have a drug transaction or whatever that is. Right. Right, right, right. And what Section 230 did is or SESTA-FOSTA, excuse me, did is it amended that to say except for um, anything that could lead to sex trafficking. And so that is a the conflation of sex work and sex trafficking that we've been seeing um, happen, the broadening of sex trafficking statutes that are really problematic because, um, you know, just the presence of the sex trade is considered to be something that could trigger sex trafficking. And um, so overnight, um, probably about 10 or 12 of those websites that you referenced went down, and mm-hmm. Backpage.com was actually seized before it was even signed into law. Like they clearly had everything mm-hmm. they need needed legally to do that, um, mm-hmm. and they were able to get the the owners of Backpage on money laundering. Actually, they didn't get no no uh-huh. one really has received any of those trafficking charges, but it huh. had a really horrible global impact because Backpage.com was the largest global sex work advertising site in the world, and so our U.S. politics. Um, had a horrible global impact. And the places where sex work is legalized or decriminalized are the places where these sites that we use are now allowed to operate unless they're Mm -hmm. operating underground or, you know, in some, some other way. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That was a really good explanation. I had no idea. (laughs) Um, and how, are there other things, Like, what if they, what if, like, I don't know if this could ever happen, what if, like, as a country we were able to, like, legalize or decriminalize sex work? Like, what would that do to your and the rest of the community's, like, lives and jobs and profession?
1: Yeah. I... So there's a a pretty big difference between legalization Mm -hmm. and decriminalization. And I think Mm -hmm. that, um, they would have varying impacts, like different impacts on sex workers lives. Um, legalization is regulating something and building it into the, uh, current, you know, free, free market, um, that capitalism (laughs) that exists. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, uh, and then decriminalization is taking away all the criminal sanctions from something, um, but not not building it into the economy. Nice. And I think that there are um, you know certain things that can be really positive about, legalizing sex work. Um, for example, here in Puerto Rico before Maria, which changed everything. So I just don't really, it's kind of hard to reference things actually pre Maria, but there was a governor's commission that looked at what it would take to change the economic condition of the islands. And they recommended a governor's commission recommended legalizing drugs and sex work because that would be able to generate the income needed to be able to get the Island out of like, you know, whatever colonized self sanctioned debt. Um, so I think that there could be benefits, right, to, to regulation, especially in terms of a, um, a, a social service system. Mm-hmm. But that what we've seen in terms of legalization in the U.S. is in 11 counties in Nevada, which uh, where the brothel model is legalized, mm-hmm. and um, that is built into a patriarchal capitalist system um, in which... Men, overwhelmingly white men, get the most money and can control and uh, have a say off of what overwhelmingly women can do with their bodies. And um, in terms of public health, they're not modernized at all. For example, if someone um, is living with HIV, but they're virally, they're, they're undetectable, they have no viral load, um, mm-hmm. they cannot work. If someone has been treated and cured of hepatitis C or other STIs, they cannot work. Um, And so these things are not based on science. And I think that um, our our nation's systems are so bureaucratic and are overwhelmingly bogged down by not just um, kind of the the roots, the moralistic roots that they come from, but also just do not run uh, effectively, um, Mm -hmm. that legalization um, would actually replicate a lot of the issues that we see in the workforce and in America, right, in general, or just society. Uh, Racism, classism, transphobia are really rampant in those ways, and not to say that they are not that in the unregulated sex economy, but I think that there's more opportunity for people. um, Mm -hmm. And decriminalization really puts the um the onus of the sex trade on sex workers themselves and so we have some models of this for example new zealand uh decriminalized sex work in i want to say 2000 or 2001 it was actually the same year um, that portugal decriminalized drugs so kind of interesting Mm. parallel there Mm -hmm. but um the sex trade there there's kind of a council of sex workers who are there to support other sex workers in entering the trade um, and giving resources and helping people get connected to sexual health resources, to community, Um, Mm -hmm. also making sure that if someone's experiencing any level of harm that they can get resources or support. And if there is a minor who's trying to enter the sex trade, being able to help redirect them in whatever Mm -hmm. way or give them the support they need, especially economically. And so um, it's building up systems outside of a very kind of one way hierarchical, um, just governmental system that we just don't really see working.
0: Mm -hmm. Hmm. So you're, you're more in favor of decriminalization. It sounds like, is that right?
1: Yes. I I'm definitely (laughs) more in favor of decriminalization. Um, I, I think, that anything is honestly better than, than criminalization. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I can't say that for sure, because I think the Nordic model and the end demand model is really popular right now, which is to go harder on the buying side or the clients and then take a hands-off mm-hmm. approach to the selling side. But um, mm. if if you think about kind of, you know, it's interesting because it, go, it comes from a supply and demand like economic framework, but you can't mm-hmm. really apply that to people's lives um because, you know, Tickle Me Elmo didn't come from generational poverty. (laughs) So it's just, it's just like kind of doesn't make sense. But what happens when you push down on the buying side of an equation is that it makes things really hard for the selling side. And so people aren't just like, oh gosh, this is really hard. I guess I'm just not going to do this. People are like, oh gosh, this is really hard. I'm going to drop my prices. I'm going to start having, you know, doing more and more condomless stuff. I'm going to bulldoze over this boundary. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's what actually happens when we yeah. um take that approach with people's lives. And so I actually think, and that's been happening overwhelmingly across different states. And so I think that's actually uh, just as harmful as criminalization. And so I think if we were to go with legalization over that, I'd be happy. Um, however, we we kind of get entrenched in a particular approach. And so I think trying to move us from decriminalization to that would be hard. Um, yeah. But I think that no matter what, I think the interesting thing is that um in a legalized or decriminalized market i actually think the prices would drop of the sex trade um Mm -hmm. but myself and many people that i know would take that um, along with the increased amount of safety that we could get and i think that Mm -hmm. for all those clients who for example don't want to screen you know, vote for people who would legalize or decriminalize the sex trade because they won't Mm -hmm. like, we won't have to have those safety considerations when, when we're under a different, um, Mm -hmm. a different structure.
0: Hmm. When you say, when you, just to back up a little bit, when you said that, like, uh, in that model, you're, they're going harder against the buyer. What exactly does that mean?
1: So people who are buying sex um, or, right. or clients, and what that looks like is increased mm-hmm. sanctions for things just like um, soliciting prostitution. So, for example, uh, okay. in Seattle, soliciting mm-hmm. prosti- prostitution has now been changed. The It's been upped to a gross misdemeanor from a misdemeanor, and it's been changed to sexual exploitation. But when you look mm-hmm. at... Um, Who just using last name as a proxy, right? You look at who's being arrested for these things. And The Stranger has written on this uh, several times as well. We're Mm -hmm. mostly looking at immigrants. We're looking at like black, brown and Asian men. And when you have even a gross misdemeanor of sexual exploitation on your record right that looks like a trafficking charge and that Mm -hmm. is getting in the way of people's visas people's work it's triggering uh being fired it's getting in the way of you know marriages there's asset forfeiture like that's just really hard and so um Mm -hmm. we see these increased sanctions and this kind of reframing of something as simple as just buying sex as trafficking um, that's happening in our law throughout the country
0: Oh my God. There's, I feel like this is, there's, there's so much here uh, and this feels like it's so layered and it's so complicated and you're explaining it so well. Um, And I loved, yeah. So I really appreciate that. Can you talk a little bit about like, what's the most challenging thing about your job?
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, so, you know, of course, criminalization and stigma, stigma, um, especially is really hard, but just to, just to bring it down, I think more to a little bit more of an interpersonal level from a, uh, kind of a metal or societal level. I I can be pretty meta, but, um, I think some of the hardest things for me is that, um, I form really genuine, wonderful relationships with clients who disappear. And I Mm -hmm. think in a lot of ways, that's like Kind of comes with the territory right like this is not a relationship which you might need to have closer closure termination or whatever I actually imagine this is probably hard for therapists as well if you don't get to terminate with a client right sure, but yeah. um yeah, I think I think that part is that I could be seeing someone pretty regularly for weeks to months, um, even have plans with that person, and then all of a sudden they disappear, and I'm like, "Are you alive? Are <laughs> did something bad happen? Did I do something?" <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. um, I think I think that part is is hard for me. Just kind of the um, the the how temporary things can be and how final (laughs) things can be. And sometimes they're not right. And so I think that there's kind of a seize the day sometimes that, that has to happen. But um, yeah, I would say that that's probably hardest for me.
0: Yeah. I, while that makes 100% complete sense, it's like, I'm thinking about it and it's sort of interesting that I didn't even think about that for you. Like, I'm like thinking like you're a professional that knows how to like have those uh, these relationships that feel, like, very unpredictable sometimes, right? And that, like, maybe if this is, like, a regular occurrence, it it still could be, like, a very challenging thing because you're, like, emotional and have connections, even though this is something that you've been experienced for a bit now. Um, but I don't know. I just, like, really appreciate and love that answer because I think that no matter what, we can all relate to that, right? So, yeah. 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 You mentioned, before we started recording, you mentioned that you date a sex worker. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to date a sex worker?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm non-monogamous, and I think that overwhelmingly there can be an assumption about sex workers that we're all non monogamous and I'll say that's not Mm -hmm. true at all. In fact, some of my best friends who are sex workers are in monogamous relationships. Um, mine just happens to be non monogamous. Um, Mm -hmm. and so my primary partner of five years now is also a full service sex worker. And, um, in many ways, that's amazing. I, uh, I think in a lot of ways I always kind of gravitate to people who will understand my experience. Um, I think in my life, I've overwhelmingly dated other mixed race people. Um, I also, when I worked in nonprofits tended to gravitate towards people who worked in nonprofits or like care professions. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's Mm -hmm. just nice to really have someone, um, who I can have a, a shared experience with. Um, but I I love that we can work together. Um, when we get to have duos together, work together, it's really wonderful on both a, a fantasy or sexual level as well as just like a kind of deepening in intimacy level when we can mm-hmm. show up um, and let other people into our relationship, I think is really beautiful. And mm-hmm. I really adore that. I think that they're uh, something I guess I hadn't expected and I think it's probably more on my part and hers for sure is that sometimes there can be a bit of competitiveness and I actually think that just comes along in my in my you know experience with femmes dating femmes <laughs> I think I think that there's some level of like competitiveness that comes with that but um it can be hard you know every single worker is really different than the next right I can't um I can say oh maybe I'm similar to my friend or my partner in this way but we all have very different relationships we um look different we act different you know know and so i think sometimes it can be hard um probably on both of our accounts when uh we might get into a bit of a scarcity mindset or something Mm -hmm. is looking really wonderful for the other person and of course we feel compersion and Mm -hmm. something that surprised me along the way is that sometimes i start to compare myself or um maybe feel a little bit of of jealousy around that that i get to bring forward and talk about with her Mm -hmm. um and so that's that's been something that's been really Um, just interesting. I think just interesting to navigate and it helps me understand, I think other, other people who are dating sex workers. And I think the one thing that I've really actually just recently read this on the Trist blog. So Trist, which I told you about earlier, um, has a blog, which I think is really amazing. Mm -hmm. And I just read um, a post that was about dating sex workers, and one of Mm -hmm. the things that this person said that I think really resonated with me was that um, we are always put in a position of nurturing our relationships versus having to work. And I think that everyone is is you know in that position. However, Mm -hmm. you know one of the things I, I love about dating a sex worker, having a lot of friends who are sex workers, is that. Um, there is a, um, kind of an understanding that should we have plans to hang out and then work comes along that if I cancel that, it's just okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus one of my best friends. When I, when I came back to the trade, um, she was getting really upset that I would take appointments. And so I know that when I'm hanging out with that friend, if I'm actually going to make, uh, plans to hang out with a friend, I'm not going to take, um, Mm -hmm. you know, last minute appointments that night. And so, um, it's knowing that, you know, in the, example that this this person wrote in the article that if there's something that's really like your and your friends or partners thing and a client kind of wants to do that thing with you that you're going to have to nurture your relationship around that because you you don't ever want to have feelings of isolation you want your partner mm-hmm. or partners or friends right to feel like priorities and so um, we can do our best to help people understand where we're at um, and I think it's on the onus of sex workers to like see where our partners or friends are at, right, and to be mm-hmm. able to try to meet meet them there.
0: hmm Yeah. Have it, What was like the? It sounds like there's like this shared experience dating a fellow mm-hmm. sex worker that can make things um, I don't know, a little bit easier when it comes to like being understanding or compassionate to what you're experiencing. Was it really tricky, like, being in the sex trade and dating non-sex workers? Um, How was that experience? Did you experience that?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting cuz even when I look back at being a survival sex worker, I had an ex that even before I like a- again, I don't think I was calling I know I was not calling what I was doing sex work, but I look back and I'm okay. like, "Oh, she and I were totally, totally trading sex together and even had mm-hmm. some like agreements, but didn't didn't know, didn't know the language of non-monogamy and sex work and all of that, but um when uh, there were a number of years that I was I was not doing sex work and I wanted to return to the trade and um my partner at the time was absolutely not Okay with it, um, and it, I, I just thought that was really interesting, and I think a lot of a lot of sex workers don't see the sex that we have in work as, as being sex. Right. And I'll say as a queer sex worker, the sex I have in work is, is overwhelmingly very different (laughs) than the sex that I have Mm -hmm. in my personal Mm -hmm. life. Um, but I mean, even for, for people who have different kinds of sex, right? Like that can be compartmentalized or it just has elements that are feel very, very different. Um, and we all kind of have our own boundaries around that. Um, but it, uh, you know, it was hard, um, dating someone who wasn't okay with that. And as soon as we broke up, I was like, cool, it's time, you know, I was, I was ready. Mm-hmm. And I think for me personally, that was a big red flag. We'd been in a relationship for a number of years before I started saying I wanted to go back. So, you know, there was some negotiations, but, um, I think there's a lot of negotiations now around being poly and, um, I, I believe that, um, the people who I, I I want for sure to know that I'm a sex worker are my doctors and people I date, right? Like those Mm -hmm. are the people I think that, that I would want to for sure know that, um, Mm -hmm. and how I navigate that around disclosing my sex work has honestly really changed in the last year, um, between Mm -hmm. moving, being in Seattle and San Juan. Um, Mm -hmm overwhelmingly i i try to f- personally Um, I like to kind of fire all the shots at the beginning and if someone's still there when the smoke clears I'm like okay we're Mm -hmm. good right so like here's everything Mm -hmm. about me if you can't handle it like (laughs) you know like this isn't going to work and I think in in Seattle uh, of course you know by the time I'm meeting someone to date them it means you know our profiles match or wherever we met Mm -hmm. like there's you know there's some symbiotic uh, energy at least that um, or information that I probably feel safe enough to share Um, Mm -hmm. but it never really was an issue, right? No matter what gender of person I dated or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I already knew that I would have to, um, change the way that I discussed that or l- kind of lived out loud when I moved to Puerto Rico, um, just mm-hmm. because of the societal stigma. Criminalization is actually very, very different here. <laughs> like not, not mm-hmm. as much of an issue, but stigma is mm-hmm. so, so much more intense. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, uh, had been dating someone for a while before I, um, let her know that I was a sex worker and she she even know she didn't even know the language of sex worker. Like I was just like puta? Mm. (laughs) Prostitute? Okay, I'll just say (laughs) prostitute. And I Uh she thought I was joking at first, you know, and so I just I think that it can be uh, hard and there are often some I, I don't think they're like when I'm in that position with someone um, I don't really think that there are offensive questions right just ask me everything in the beginning and as mm-hmm. someone who has had um, like long term partners who are transgender I also think in the beginning right like I, I probably I asked questions that I was embarrassed about but I appreciated sure. that they held space for me mm-hmm. um, and so I, I like if I'm going to want to be in relationship with someone I'll hold that space um, but I think one of the things that can be hard in dating is that folks so folks say they're okay with things but then for example they get really weird around sex um Mm -hmm. you know and i'm just like i i i think that i mean most sex workers i know including myself get tested every three months we have um you know very strong boundaries around condom use and and barrier use and protection Mm -hmm. um I mean, it's our, it's our livelihood. So if, if one of us were to get an STI, even if it was something we could clear, that's still a week to two weeks that we can't work or make money. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's also having to tell a bunch of people about, about your positive status. And it's just, it's like really, really not fun. Right. And so I actually think sex workers are some of the the safest, um, sexual partners. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but there's a lot of misinformation and stigma out there. And so that can be hard when dating people. So, um, I think that's something that a lot of people navigate. And one reason why I really love dating another sex worker. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Can you tell me a little bit about like, who is your ideal, I don't know if you have this, but like, who is your ideal favorite client to work Mm -hmm. with?
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's, I I absolutely can. So, and I want (laughs) to, I want to like say this with a caveat, but I'm going to start with like, you know, manifestation, (laughs) like, like big dreams, (laughs) recognizing that not everyone has the financial resources or like time capacity to be this client. And and so I'll like get there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the ideal client for me is, uh, someone who wants to spend time with me. And that's in addition to sexual intimacy and exploration. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a big foodie. I have some dietary restrictions, but beyond that, I love to eat. I, uh, love to experience, the world. I'm a big adventurer. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So like pleasure seeker and planner, that's, I think our tagline, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's me. Um, and so I really love, um, authentic connections. I always joke that clients can have a fantasy with me for three times. And on the fourth, I'm just showing up as me because <laughs> I'm just <laughs> not very, not very good personally. Right. At at that. And so if I'm going to have on, I want, I want to have ongoing connections. I really value ongoing connections. Um, mm-hmm. And so something I can be uh, authentic about is really important to me. Um, People who will take me on trips with them um, or dinner dates. I really enjoy those. I really, uh, I personally really love group sex. I love duos and trios Mm -hmm. and those sorts of things and getting to work alongside other providers, especially when it's my partner or friend. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I recognize that that is not in within the realm of a lot of people's reality. Um, sure. And so even those, I, I still really respect and enjoy and want to call forth those clients who uh, come and see me for an hour, once a quarter, and uh, maybe have read my website enough to, that they will bring me their favorite book so that I can read it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or something that reminds me of them and that we can have just genuine connections. Um, I really believe, at least for me, a lot of the work that I do is healing work. Um, I provide energy work um, and healing and the work I do, I do guided psilocybin sessions with clients. And mm. so, um, when I'm able to have those deeper connections, um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. And when we can just share about our lives and get each other's opinions and be there for each other, even if it's in a one hour experience, you know, once a quarter, I still really appreciate that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you said this a few times, but, you really value genuine connections and it sounds like you really enjoy showing up to those types of relationships and that makes a ton of sense, I get that
1: As you said, I really appreciate those uh, intimate connections and I appreciate when those can be built over time, but I don't want to discount how amazing even just one-time sessions and one-time connections can be. Um, That might just be because someone is traveling and I get to see them even while I'm traveling or they're traveling, but I can have a really amazing connection because it's an opportunity to learn a bit about someone and to share a bit about myself and to see where we might be able to um, get a little bit of healing, right? Like get the the things we need Mm -hmm. from each other and also help break down taboos. And that's just really beautiful. And also sometimes there can just be really amazing sexual chemistry. There can be, uh, you know, different kink things that we do that I feel like I can see uh, people getting really what they needed out of that. And there's an opportunity for people Mm -hmm. to even just talk about their sexual desires and their sexual boundaries which I don't feel like we have a lot of opportunity to do and so sometimes people come just to practice that um, and so I really enjoy my one time encounters as well and I think in some ways sex work for people who are wanting to uh, see other sex workers or see a sex work or one particular sex worker in an ongoing manner sometimes it is a, just a bit like dating and that you want to find someone that you mesh with right and so there's definitely yeah. been people that I've met where I'm like oh i don't i didn't really feel like i was the right person for them or i could kind of tell that and there's some people where you just click right away um and that doesn't mean we're falling in love by any means but it means that we just have the right chemistry that we love we have shared interests we uh you know get each other's bodies we um you know a a variety of different things really that could be happening there and so i think that those are all just really magical and important
0: yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think one-time encounters can be incredibly sweet and special and powerful and meaningful. And I would imagine that, like, those are nice nice moments to have with people. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any, like... um uh, mixed feelings about clients that may be like cheating on their partners with you? Do do you like think about that sort of thing? Like, how do you feel about it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Um, on, on one hand, um, I, I, I will say that I see so many of my clients who are, are cheating on their partners who, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I actually couldn't tell you that there are any, that I feel like are just okay with it. <laughs> right? Like, mm. even if they yeah. come and say, oh, we have an unspoken arrangement, which is their way of saying. <laughs> They don't actually know. Right. And I'm just doing this like I can tell, I can feel the energy behind that all the way to clients who actually discuss with me, right. The, Mm -hmm. um, how hard it is, but overwhelmingly people are coming to me to save their relationships and save their marriage, um, because they're not getting their needs met, um, sexually. And I'll say again, all genders, (laughs) I see this, Mm -hmm. um, they're Mm -hmm. not getting their sexual needs met or they they need to be able to show up in a particular role. And, and so like an example of that is that I have seen clients who are coming to see me when their partner is sick. Um, And so they they it might hurt to touch their partner. They're not going to have sex, but Mm -hmm. they don't want to pester their partner with that. And so being able to come and see a sex worker means that then they can more fully show up in the role as a caretaker and that Mm -hmm. they can be there to support their their partner through whatever that is. And so that's Mm -hmm. that's one example. But overwhelmingly, people are very, very in love with their partners and have a really hard time cheating on them. But the thing about seeing a sex worker is it's kind of the safety way to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, um, again, we are professionals. We have boundaries and we have a lot of po- like care and positive regard for our clients. Mm-hmm. However, we're not going to, um, you know, blur boundaries overwhelmingly. I say, we're not going to fall in love. We're not going to chase them or their money or try to get them to break up with their partner. Right. Um, we're just there to support them and what they need and what they want to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I will say that I also have a number of of clients who are in open and poly relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them even with sex workers, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. And so that looks really different. But um, yeah, I think I think it's just hard to see how much it tears people up um, because it's you know the lying, the lying to someone they mm-hmm. love. However, they're doing it ultimately for love and i i think that i see that right that i can see that this is ultimately keeping marriages together and i -hmm. hope that as a society we can move towards having those those conversations right around um people you know having maybe fluid relationship structures even for a moment of time to kind of figure Mm -hmm. figure that out um and uh or you know i i also know other sex workers this never happened to me but who have been who have been had the necessary conversations as someone's partner has found out and reached out. Um, oh. and so I think just being able to show up with integrity is really, is really important. Again, that's never happened to me, but I think it's complicated, but overwhelmingly I, I feel like I am helpful in that regard. Like the role mm-hmm. that sex workers play is important.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, my next question was going to be, like, do you feel like you're sometimes keeping marriages together? And I think you are. I think that, like, your work your work does that. It reminds me of, like, are you, like, a Dan Savage fan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love Dan Savage. And I feel like one of the first... Uh, uh, one of like he used to talk about this a lot more and then he sort of like said I think like I'm not going to talk about this as much anymore because I'm tired of it but um, he used to say that like sometimes you know um, if you're in a relationship and your partner is really sick or if you're in a marriage and you have kids and you don't want to like break up the marriage and the sex is gone like there's if you're like cheating or if there's infidelity or if you see a sex worker however you do it like you you're doing that in order to maybe like keep the marriage together, right? And it can come from, like, a real place of love. There's also, like, there's, like, a real famous therapist in the therapist space right now, Esther Perel, and have you heard of her? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, I have her game. <laughs> we, yeah, we love her. We love her, and oh, yeah. she... And there was like uh she has a podcast and I was listening to one of her podcast episodes somewhat recently. And this couple came in and they're like there's been infidelity and, and he lied to me and he didn't tell me about this whole thing. And she was able to like frame it in a way of like he was so scared to tell you because he was so protective of the relationship because he loves you so much. Like listen I'm not like defending it or like like but like let's understand the context here and how it can be kind of like a a very like, you know, um, Uh, almost beautiful thing or like very sweet thing to do that but there's uh i've talked about this a little bit the dan savage perspective and how we're looking at it i've talked about it a little bit on like tiktok uh as therapy jeff and the the main like criticism that i might get is like Which is is a valid one. Um, is kind of like, yes, I understand that, and um, but your partner, who's the partner who's being cheated on, doesn't know maybe that this is going on, right? So they're lacking informed consent. Like if they had all of that information, then they can make like uh, an informed decision of whether or not they want to be with somebody who's kind of, like, stepping out in that way. Even if they're stepping out in a way that's, like, I'm here to, like, say, protect our family so that it doesn't break up or or something like that. Um, and I don't... Uh, and I'm just, like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I get where you're coming from. And that that makes a lot of sense. And maybe, like, one... You don't have to, like, side with one or the other. They can, like, both exist. I think that's, like, hard... To have both of those things exist, and it all depends on like the very specific personal situation. Um, but because there's so much nuance here, I decided to like stop talking about this very specific thing on TikTok because you know those are just whatever 60 second videos, you can't like fit in a ton of nuance, and there's uh, there's people that like in even listening to our podcast and what we're talking about, like there's people that are going to have like very strong reactions to what we're saying or what you're talking about. Right. And that's sort of just how it is, I guess.
1: Right. And I, I mean, I want, I want to say, cause I, I guess this isn't just taken, um, as, as something that's inherently in what I say, but I think that a person who is being cheated on, even with a sex worker, right? Has every single is in all of their right to be yeah. upset, to be hurt. Right. Because right. like you were saying, there's not informed consent. Um, they've been lied to. I am a sex worker dating a sex worker. And if I found out that my partner had been seeing a sex worker without telling me, I'd be like, you know, what the kick it Like what, what are we doing here? You know, <laughs> I just like it would, I, because there's, a break in a bond of trust and i absolutely right. think that 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 part is not okay right and mm-hmm. so i'm not endorsing by any means that someone cheat on their partner with a sex worker it is absolutely right. cheating and i understand that um i think that it's harm reduction is what i think mm-hmm. it is in in a marriage
0: that's a really good way to look at it i think and frame it yeah i agree
1: and there's many ways that sex work can be harm reduction because the sex trade is vast And um, there's other parts of the sex trade outside of full service sex work that might be able to meet people's needs. And actually, for both clients and workers, people are always trying to find the part of the trade that gives them the most benefit or meets their needs um, while having the least amount of risk. And so if someone is in a position where they feel like they're not getting their needs, their sexual needs met in a relationship or or many different reasons why they they might feel like they, they want to see a sex worker, um, but they don't necessarily want to cheat. There are other options like, mm-hmm. uh, porn, especially if they're signing on to a, uh, individual's account, like only fans or a many vids. I have only fans, right. That's a great way to make a connection or follow people. Um, also strip clubs, um, people who are regulars at strip clubs can have great relationships with not some of the strippers or even just a great night. There's mm-hmm. camming and there's sugaring and there's, um, you know, professional, Uh, doming and subbing which are not full service work but are kink in ways that people can um, you know kind of get past the constraints of society that say that we have to be certain ways or to find healing and uh, there's many different ways that that can look for people and so that's not all cheating right Mm -hmm. but that also depends on relationships and and I think it's important for people in their relationships to have that Um, but if people are choosing full service sex work I think they've come to a place right where that Mm -hmm. that's what they've decided is going to meet their need and is harm reduction in in whatever sense that is but i think it's important to recognize that full service sex work is one engagement in the sex trade but there are many many and most sex workers are engaging in several different types at the same Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of ways to be able to follow people even if you don't see them in person
0: yeah i think that's a really good point Um, Have you had a good experience with your OnlyFans account?
1: I have. I um, I don't think I'm very good at marketing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I make amazing content. Yeah. And um, I actually just I really, really love my content. And so I encourage folks even even just for a month to sign up. Um, I'm very proud of it. And part of that is my partner. Like I, if he, my porn watching habits are that I fast forward to the best sex scene, um, whereas her porn watching habits are that she wants a 20 minute storyline ahead of time. And so <laughs> I actually think the two two of us coming together make some really amazing porn and my favorite of course is my porn blooper and I think if I could get to a place where I make ex- exclusively porn bloopers where like if I can't make you touch yourself at least I can make you laugh like if that's my brand I'd be totally happy with it yeah. but um, yeah it's been fun making the content and I think I think the marketing part is just hard personally for me and when the world I started my only fans in the pandemic and when the world opened up again I just um, you know full service sex work is for me. I love, mm-hmm. I love those connections. And, um, so I still, I still do it on the side, but I know some people who, uh, generally ones who are younger than me, who are just amazing <laughs> with marketing and, uh, and actually no longer do full service sex work and just yeah. do only fans and those sorts of engagements. But I feel like most of the providers I know have an only fans, maybe they're on night flirt, maybe they do full service, maybe they do camming. And so people mm-hmm. are doing a variety of different, different engagements, um, because it's a cool way to be able to engage with people who you might not be able to see all the time or even if you don't want to see. And I do virtual sessions sometimes, too, and that's really cool. Um, so there's just a lot of different ways to engage, and um, I think sometimes we forget that.
0: I, yeah, and, and I know that um, starting an OnlyFans or providing, like, virtual content uh, – you have to also, like, if you're going to make that successful, there needs to be a big social media game where you're posting content constantly or at least posting on, like, social media in order to get people to convert over to your OnlyFans. And that's a lot. It takes a lot of energy to, to be able to keep that up. So, yeah, it's something to be aware because I think that some people might have the impression that if you just, you know, start an OnlyFans account, then there you go. But, no, it takes a lot of work and effort to build that up.
1: Yeah, you need to get subscribers, absolutely. Yeah, and exactly. you need to be uh, constantly putting out different promotions and different right. rewards and different yes. clips and those sorts of things. And it it takes a good amount of time editing, mm-hmm. like for a six mm-hmm. minute video, uh, that will probably be 40 to 60 minutes of filming. And then that's mm-hmm. anywhere between, I mean, and I, I really like editing. I don't want to just chop something in the beginning and the end. I want it to mm-hmm. look really artsy and beautiful. And so then that's another several hours of editing that Uh, and then, um, to put all of that in and then to, you know, not, not necessarily see the, uh, return because there's not as much marketing that's happening, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm um, can be sometimes just a a little bit hard. Um, but there's lots of things that could be done. I think if that was a way I really wanted to go, luckily I'm really connected and I I know people who are really great at that, but again, I have a, I have a part-time job and I really love full service sex work, Mm -hmm. but um, I think it's, uh, you know, and there's different problems that come along with it. I actually have a client who's in an open relationship and his partner is on OnlyFans and he actually um, now is, is, has quit his job and basically just does all of her administrative support, her editing, her filming, and all of that and she's doing really well, but he said that she gets these um, anonymous accounts, these fake accounts probably two to three a day that he has to shut down um, and the Instagram or different uh, platforms like TikTok right. because it's, you know, considered porn, even if there's not anything that's against their standards, will shut it down. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. once a week, he's either having to start a new page or, uh, or you know, have to fight all of the, these impersonators. And so um, I've never personally had to deal with that. But of course, you know, there's so many things that come with just about any part of the industry. So...
0: Oh, my God. It is so difficult. You have to market. You have to be online. You have to be out there. And all of the platforms, all the apps are also trying to, like, shut you down. So you have to talk in these really coded ways and follow community guidelines. But even if you do, it doesn't even matter. It's a whole thing. That's a whole other podcast, yeah. I think. Have but, you yeah. had uh, imitators yet? Yeah? Is that a oh, thing that's
1: happening? There's
0: dozens of imitators mm-hmm. right now of me. Yeah. And there's there's no way I can keep up with, like, reporting them And then them getting, like, taken down. Even if I report them, uh, TikTok or Instagram is just like, nope, they're not, uh, they're not, like, uh, there's nothing wrong with these accounts. When they're, like, stealing my content and posting it on Mm -hmm. there, like, so I'm just like, fuck it, you know, like, that's, that's that. Like, I don't have enough time to fight this. And hopefully people will, you know, understand if they're getting connected with, like, a scam Therapy Jeff account. But they, but people are getting scammed every day. There's there's a lot of times it's like therapy Jeff, fake therapy Jeff accounts that reach out to people and promise them like a psychic reading.
1: Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like, I, don't yeah.
0: know. I know. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. We have like 10 minutes left. There's like so many questions here that I won't be able to get to. But uh, one of them that I wanted to ask is... Um, what do you think is, like, the biggest source of strength or, re- or like, resilience in dealing with, like, the societal stigma surrounding sex work? I feel like you've mentioned your community a lot. I imagine that that's a real... So can you, like, is that your biggest source of strength and support? Um is there, like, it sounds like the community is, like, incredibly there for everyone. Is there also, like, some competition, competitive, like, feelings? Like, can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Of course. And that's my answer. Absolutely. Okay, community yeah. is the biggest source of resilience for me. Um, I... I think, of course, there can be some level of competitiveness, right, and uh, and kind of just about everything, especially if we don't know each other. But one one thing uh, in particular, I mean, I have I have my friends and, and partner who are sex workers, and uh, they are really great to get together with and vent. Or um, to you know, recently I had to buy crypto, and it took me like a week and three hours, and I was I was going to explode. I was like, oh my gosh, right? But I can't pay for ads without crypto now, and I called, I called like the one friend who's a provider who I know. And she was like there (laughs) helping me and just like is a goddess. Right. And like, I think, I think that like, that's, that's how we can support each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely think sometimes it can be hard if uh, we've been seeing a client and we're like, Oh, comes do to a duo with my friend and me. And then the client just starts seeing the friend. Right. Um... And I think that we can totally hold space to like, For like, gosh, that kind of sucked. Like, I understand that has nothing to do with me or you or whatever, but like, yeah, that kind of sucks. And I also think we're kind of always trying to vouch for each other a bit. Like, you know, when we're asking for duos, et cetera, it's like, you know... Partly because we want to be with that person and partly because we're like, I know that this sex worker could really (laughs) benefit Mm -hmm. from this or this connection or whatever that is. And so we're trying to support each other and be in community. But there's also my sex work activist community. And I think that that's been a really important thing for me because um, that's the space where I actually feel like I can turn my desires into action. Um, Mm -hmm. And we are working together to be able to change the conditions for people so that they have a safer industry than the one that we exist in, or especially the one we came into. Um, and that community is also a source of resilience for me because we um, are working together. I think that um, sex worker activism is some of the pettiest <laughs> activism i've ever been involved in um you know there's a lot of unresolved trauma i think there's a lot of big personalities and uh Mm -hmm. competition but at the same time i think that there's a lot of really passionate dedicated people who are trying to work together and so um you know kind of having that just like friendship venting play community and that activist community combined is really kind of the the rock that supports the work that i do
0: yeah, that makes sense. Okay, is there anything else that you'd like to add to the conversation?
1: Yes, I, I think i just really like to reiterate that we are whole people with really robust lives. Um, you know, many of us are daughters and sisters and partners or, you know, That could also be brothers and sons, you know, really kind Mm -hmm. of across any gender. But we have robust social lives. Uh, Many people are in school or taking extracurricular classes or activities. We're caregivers. And so um, when I, I think same-day appointments can be very hard, um, especially if people are have you know full lives. And so um, I think pre-booking is really appreciated. There are several people, including myself, who actually charge more for same-day appointments because they can be so destabilizing, have to change your whole schedule or to cancel plans. And you know, something I mentioned earlier is that that has a relationship impact, right? If I end up having to cancel plans with a partner or friends um, because I'm taking work, even though they'll understand, right? Like it's taking uh, a coin out of that bank necessarily. Um, And so pre-booking is really preferred. And I just think, you know, I encourage people to think about whatever job they had that if they were just asked to suddenly do that in the next hour at night, there are opportunities, right? Where some of us will go on different ad sites and say we're available now. And so there are people who will be willing for same day work. But I think just the expectation that we're just sitting around waiting for work Uh, can sometimes just feel really dehumanizing to me. And on the other side, we're not working all of the time. Even just last week, I ended up taking a same day appointment and I said, okay, well, I'll be able to see you at this time at night. And his response was, what are you seeing other clients before me? And I didn't need to disclose anything to him at that point, actually, but I said, no, actually I'm going to a birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) It's been planned for weeks. Like I'm going to my friend's birthday party and I'll see you afterwards. And I think he kind of caught himself and realized what he'd said, but... But, um I you know overwhelmingly I just kind of get the sense that people think we're just like waiting around for them and if we want the money we should just drop everything and um, I think that the kindest approach is to pre-book and also just not assume that we're working all the time and recognize we have full lives and similarly I'd really love if other professions saw sex work as work as well and legitimized it um, I really appreciate that I know a number of therapists who will say um, if they're working with someone or working with couples that, you know, considering the circumstances, maybe a sex worker could be an option for supporting um, them through whatever they're going through. Um, But I'd like to see more visibility around that. I'd like to see especially um, those who are now in the psychedelic renaissance and people who are starting to do caregiving through um, different healing modalities, whether that be um, psychedelic or entheogenic medicines or somatic work to recognize that sex workers are doing a lot of that and we're already doing really stigmatized work and so we're working with people who come to us to break down those taboos so we have those relationships and we also aren't beholden by some of the um, limitations that other people are and so I think that um, that sometimes can mean that we could do really amazing work and I would like to see that be just legitimized a little bit more or uh, at least have some visibility around that and uh, I also want to leave folks with a little bit of resources of course mine is just uh, one experience and one story but I think there's so many amazing places to go get more information about sex work Um, if folks are interested in what we were talking about in the beginning part of this podcast more of the laws and the experience around those um, Juno Mack wrote a book called revolting prostitutes that's really amazing A good friend of mine, Justice Rivera, is coming out with a just amazing anthology in May called Body Autonomy, Decolonizing Sex Work and Drug Use. And I actually saw I have the first iteration, um, which was just really wonderful. So I encourage people to look for that. And then there's some organizations that are always putting out different publications that I think are really great as well. Um, The Sex Worker Worker Outreach Project USA puts out a lot of amazing stuff. The uh, Global Network of Sex Worker Projects. Uh, reframe health and justice and then there's many different just local groups so we encourage people to um, try to find the local sex worker rights group in their area and just know what it is that they're doing, um, what it is that they're about and if there's any way to support them. Um, so those are just some continued resources but in general I really I really thank people for listening to my story today and some of what I have to say and thank you also Jeff for having me on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, you should have your own podcast. (laughs) Um, I would subscribe and listen every week. Thank you so much. Can you remind people where they can find you if they want to find more information about you?
1: Of course. Yeah. I am at Solana Sparks on Twitter and my website is www.solanasparks.com. And I come to the States quite often too. So if you can't make it to mm-hmm. see me in San Juan, um, I'd love to see you hopefully on one of my tours.
0: And I imagine that I'm probably going to get lots of questions, follow-up questions from this podcast episode. So I'd love to have you back eventually because I, I imagine that people want to hear even more from you. So I thank yes. you for coming on here and telling your story.
1: Of course. I would love that. And uh and I have many friends too who I think have wonderful mm. perspectives that if ever mm-hmm. if ever I could connect you to, it's great to get some different voices. So Yeah, I would love that. Okay, I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Jeff.